0: Hi, this is Larry Pasca, Executive Director of NCSS, the National Council for the Social Studies. This episode features an author published in an NCSS journal. Please enjoy. You're listening to Visions of Education. A podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12, and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Michael, it is Black History Month, mm-hmm. and it's it's always kind of interesting to me to see how different schools and districts address Black History Month. How, how is your school doing
1: it? So one of the things my school started doing this year was in the morning, actually, you know, talking about an African-American and different disciplines really throughout that are prominent today. And I thought that was kind of cool. And I, I know that sometimes with morning announcements, not everyone always hears them, but they also get emailed out to students. And then we've also kind of used the opportunity to talk about them a little bit in class, since now they're in our classes for that because of our whole hybrid situation so that's something new that the some. i don't know the organization that's doing it at our school but it's i i think it's been pretty interesting
0: yeah i mean my my first like inclination is like throwing in like factoids during the announcements you know of course that's not the only thing you want to do but my first inclination is be like is that all you're doing i will admit though i watch a lot of nba games i don't know how much i talk about that but i'm i'm that's kind of my thing. I watch NBA games all the time. And they've been doing a lot of like black history story, just short 30 second things. And they had one on the the Celtics player, Chuck Cooper, who signed, who was drafted. And then all these other players talked about the Celtics drafted him, more black players were drafted. And I, you know, I got online, I was like, I don't I never have heard this guy's name that I can remember. And so I got on and actually spent like 30 minutes like learning about him and kind of learning about his place. And I love history and I love the NBA, but I don't always know about professional basketball history really well. So it was, you know, it can lead to something, but, you know, it's, it also could easily be ignored by some students too, right?
1: Yeah. I, I know Art have tried to refocus what, this, what stories we're telling. So I teach world history, uh, like I talk about quite a bit. And so our research paper that we've been working on, or we just started working on, so we're trying so we're we're talking about imperialism. And a lot of times when we talk about imperialism, you know, it's just been like, you know, Eurocentric. Been so we've been really been doing our best to uh, get more into like resistance movements during imperialism and showing how societies have changed in taking a country, an African country, and they're looking at how it was changed early onset imperialism and then after World War II, uh, two, what was the impact of World War II on the country? And then how did decolonization and the Cold War impact the country. And so I think it's a, it's a really kind of, I mean, it, it's not black history centered, but I think it's just something that my, my department really has, has tried to uh, be better tellers of, of histories.
0: Well, and, and, I mean, that's, and, and thinking about whose perspective we're telling these histories from yeah. is important. And we, we learned in episode 11, one of our most popular episodes, rethinking black history with Dr. Carrick King, that, that, you know, you can really teach from and through the perspectives of you know, black people and black historians, and that episode was so good and so helpful to me. I was thinking, you know, we should probably have Dr. King back. Absolutely, did we get him? Her, yeah, we did. We did. It's a, it's it's foregone, so you know, at this point, he's here. So, we would like to welcome back friend of the pod back to the podcast, Dr. LeGarrett King. Welcome,
2: thank you, thank you for having me. Um, I like that title, Friend of the Pod.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that. That's once you're on your second time that's what we go with and we're still working on the if you're on your third time what the title is but friend of best the pod friend that's Friend with how the pod is you.
1: something that we've thrown out but I don't know I feel like maybe there can be like maybe the fourth time that's going
0: <laughs> to really elevate the status to be- to best friend yeah yeah <laughs> Dr. King can I mean so for our our listeners that are not already familiar with your work or haven't listened to episode 11 which they should get in touch with both of those. Can you tell us a little bit about your background in education?
2: Yeah, so I'm Gary King. I'm the Isabella Wade Leida, Paul Leida Professor of Education at the University of Missouri. I'm also the founding director of the Carter Center for K-12 Black History Education, which is a research and professional development um, center for teachers to improve Black history education. Before I uh, became a professor, I was a classroom teacher for eight years in Georgia and Texas. And just, um, and my last stop, my last teaching job was at Booker T. Washington High School, which is the alma mater of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, one of the reasons why I went to get my PhD is because I saw the apathy in students in terms of being at the school that one of the greatest Americans lived and went to. And it seemed like the kids were very apathetic towards that particular history. And this whole area where Booker T. Washington High School was, it was a very historic civil rights era, right? You know, even to the point where a few blocks down, you had the Busy Bee Cafe, where, um, you know, all these Black leaders used to meet to discuss civil rights, act, civil rights, um, you know, approaches. And even when I was there in the early 2000s, you could sit there and eat macaroni and John Lewis would be a booth, booth you know, at, uh, um, before you eating you know his macaroni you're kind of thinking like ah you're a little old to eat this macaroni but you mm-hmm. know i'm glad i'm sitting sitting with you so um so i had this love of black history and that's why i went and got got my phd and in uh, 2018 we started the carter center for k-12 black history education and one of our largest professional developments it's the Teaching Black History um, Conference, and that is our Super Bowl. So, you know, we're very excited uh, coming this July 23rd and 25th. Our theme is Teaching Black Wall Street and other his- and and the history of race massacres in the United States. And we're very excited. Last year, we had over a thousand teachers from all over the world, and hopefully, we can increase that uh, number this year.
1: That was virtual last year.
2: Yes, 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 and it's virtual again this year. Yeah.
0: Well, I I really appreciate it actually that it was virtual. And I, I know you'll a lot of conferences are gonna go back face to face because the previous the first two years it existed, I really wanted to come and just couldn't make it work with my summer schedule. And then it went virtual and I was able to go and I just can't tell everyone. This is an incredible conference. The sessions were powerful. I ended up using sessions in my class, right? So I used the videos in my class and had my students watch some of the sessions. Just really, there was a really incredible one about elementary social studies teachers thinking about developing Black history programs, and my students loved it. And so I really highly recommend it. And this year's theme is really powerful. I think I've told you this, Dr. King, but I'm from Tulsa, and one of the you know, I kind of already was starting to see when I went to college and I took I took African history classes and I I took Oklahoma history at the college level and actually my college level Oklahoma history class was not very good, but we got a project we got to pick a project to do and on the list of the projects was it just said Tulsa race riot, and I had never. Heard of it. This is in college. I grew up in Oklahoma my whole life. So, anyway, I became completely engrossed with this topic. And it was one of the things that really made me want to be a social studies teacher because I thought, how could this be hidden? You know, and it was still so meaningful. And I just didn't know any of the history. And so, it also showed me how ignorant I was of of the life of Black Telsons, too. Right. And so, it was a big wake up call for me. So, um, for people who have never studied the, the, Tulsa race massacre, as it's now referred to, um, is, this should be really profound. And of course, it's not, it's, it's part of a larger story, as you said. So I'm really excited to learn.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. And um, I'm excited for the proposals that, that will come in and the teachers who are the stars of the show at the conference. We have K-12 educators from all over the United States, and they present some really great hands-on workshops for, for all our participants.
0: So, Dr. King, we're having you here. And you hey, you've got an open invitation here, right? We got to get you to best friend of the pod as soon as possible. But specifically, you just recently published uh, an article in Social Education in the November, December issue titled Black History is Not American History Toward a Framework of Black Historical Consciousness, which is something I I think you even presented on at the conference, too. Can you tell us a little bit about this framework you've been working on and developing?
2: Yeah, so... um one of the, it's real interesting in the ways in which our society and educators talk about Black history and how we present Black history. And one of the most most famous axioms is this notion that Black history is American history, right? You know, and, and uh, for years, I kept on, you know, thinking something doesn't sit right with that particular axiom, right? You know, it's like, while it's correct, right, you can't tell the story of America without telling the story of black Americans. Um, typically, what I found was people saying these particular aspects in bad faith, right, and, and really not trying to transform black history education. So I began to start thinking that, I mean, in reality, the ways in which we present American history, it's not Black history because Black history has its own timelines. Black history has its own frameworks and Black history has its own perspectives. And so what I began to start think, um, start uh, writing is that in many ways, we teach about Black history, but we don't teach through Black history. And that's a very unique kind of way of thinking about it, right? When I say we're teaching about Black history, that means that that perspective of history is coming from a different lens other than Black people right? So whenever you talk about someone, it's from your perspective. And typically that perspective is the same old Eurocentric framework. And, you know, we all know this, right? But for some strange reason, we're not picking up and really transforming the curriculum. But when we teach through Black history, what we're doing is teaching history through the Black experience and Black perspectives. So in many ways, what I wanted to develop was a humanistic form of history that teachers could use, a framework to use to begin to start thinking about whenever they approach Black history, whether through their curriculum or their instruction, right, these basic principles to help them understand. So one of the aspects I have is that we need to drop the why in history and begin to start teaching histories. And this helps us understand that there's multiple perspectives in history. So the Black Historical Framework, uh, Black Historical Consciousness Framework is broken up into six Principles. I'm working on two more, but but the six principles I talked about in the article was principle one. You can't teach Black history without without teaching about power, oppression, and racism, right? And this notion of systemic and institutional racism, mainly because the institutional nature of racism against Black people have has influenced the lived realities of Black people, right? So from where Black people stay, from their health to their wealth, to their educational attainment, have always been legislated against Black folks. So in many ways, Black people are starting behind, particularly White folk, in terms of all these particular instances, right? Principle two is teaching about Black agency, resistance, and perseverance. Now, we can't teach strictly about power, oppression, and racism, because what that does is kind of insinuate this history that Black people were simply victims. And that's something that is very dangerous to really kind of approach in our history curriculum is that black people were never simply victims now they have been victimized right something has always been done to them but they just simply didn't accept the fate of those particular policies that was presented against them right so you always have to kind of teach this notion of black resistance black agency and and black perseverance
0: I think one example I've been thinking about a lot lately, and I'd love to hear your your thoughts on this, is right. Pr- part of the problem of calling, for example, Lincoln the Great Emancipator, is obviously it gives Lincoln a tremendous amount of credit that he was very slow to come to. Right, things that 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 Black activists at the time, Black abolitionists, were arguing for for a long time. And I've thought a lot about how we frame uh, slave revolts in the United States. Because we don't often see those, frame them, at least, and when I say we, I'm speaking as from a white person who came into the teaching profession in a curriculum that's really, you know, grounded in whiteness, that it's, those weren't, weren't, portrayed as freedom struggles as as real aspirational means towards a true democracy towards a a multicultural democracy which is this long struggle and i was realizing that and i specifically i've read a long frederick Douglass book and i gotta quit mentioning it and everything i do because it totally captured my mind but i never learned about like the madison washington um, revolt on the creole which is like i think the largest successful slave revolt in u.s history and i just thought about how is that not one of the most important things that I could learn about because it led it was one of the causes of the Civil War. So I guess with that, that those types of things are, are those the types of things that are just oftentimes, either on the margins of history, they're not part of the main story. And we get the story where Lincoln is kind of centered as as leading the fight against
2: slavery yeah so two points here so number one mainly black history is kind of situated in this kind of top down government savior type of approach right you know there's always this 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 white savior this kind of moral prerogative that has always kind of centered uh, the freedom struggle uh, struggle of black people so just just as you mentioned Lincoln the great emancipation you hear people say we fought a civil war for slavery you heard hillary clinton when she was running against barack obama if it wasn't for lyndon johnson and all these particular things but we yet we do not really focus on the ways in which black communities forced right these politicians forced these particular people to make these these decisions these historic decisions for our liberation. And number two, it's like we have to think of agency in in various different ways. I think a lot of times when we think of agency, we always think about this physical agency, right? This physical agency, like slave revolts, right? Uh, Notions of people are fighting back and such, but we don't necessarily think about the critical intellectual agency, right? Or what we would call everyday agency, right? Um, So if we're talking about enslavement, for example, right? The... The notions of everyday agency was this this concept was agency can be defined either by destroying the system or trying to improve your everyday existence. Right. So destroying the system could be slave revolts. Right. Everyday resistance could be working slowly. Everyday resistance could be breaking tools. Everyday existence could be acting like you're sick. Right. So agency looks in so many different ways. And I think as you know, history teachers and social studies teachers, we need to really kind of approach that aspect of resistance in many different ways. Because, number one, there was severe punishments for this notion of physical agency right you know what i'm saying so you know lynchings and killings and all these punishments that happen so in many ways these particular people right had to be smart with it right and as with anything right if you do things in numbers things will get better so one thing that we don't talk about is that through these everyday acts of agency and resistance the enslaved essentially could negotiate With these enslavers, right, for better working conditions, right, for a less strenuous work day. And those things did happen, you know, throughout our history. And then another thing about agency as well is that it's very, very interesting in the ways in which we frame agency with Black folk, right? And let's talk about the civil rights movement, for example. Most of our curriculum and most of our teachers kind of have this dichotomy between nonviolence and violence, right? And there's always this kind of approach to say that nonviolence is the best act of freedom struggle, right? So we should never think of violence as, as, as a legitimate response for freedom, right? But we, we live in the United States. <laughs> Our country was built on violence, right? Every war that we have ever entered, we always had this notion of we're doing it for freedom. So while we as social studies teachers shouldn't advocate for violence, we should definitely not say that nonviolence is the only legitimate way to achieve freedom. Because what we're saying is, no, white folk can elicit violence for freedom. But non-white folk, right, particularly black folk can, cannot elicit notions of violence as a legitimate way of freedom. So, so you have those particular aspects that, that I think social studies teachers need to really kind of approach
0: if only we had contemporary examples of black protesters <laughs> facing violence while white protesters literally walk into the cow. okay everyone knows what i'm talking about at this point but, <laughs> but yeah no it's it is and you did even see after that it bothered me too to see people constantly feeling they always had to put the terms nonviolent in there or else they were doing something wrong when you know but then they teach the revolution the next morning. So, okay, so your principle, your principles, you've told us you've got power, oppression, and racism. And then your second principle is black agency resistance and perseverance. What's next? What's your next principle?
2: All right, so principle three is Africa and the African diaspora, right? So one thing about blackness is that we have to understand that blackness is global, right? That black means something different based on geography, right? Based on time and space. But yet we also have to realize that when we teach you black perspectives right we should never start with the enslavement period right so in many uh, curriculum around country the first time that children learn about black people is that they were slaves right in third or fourth grade and that's a very dangerous aspect to really understand because what it does is say that black history began with European contact and colonization and that's just not the case right Howard University professor Greg Carr said one time, if Black history was 24 hours, slavery is one second in that 24 hours. So there's thousands and thousands of years of African history, Black history, before this notion of enslavement, whether or not, you know, we want to use 1619 or 1526 as a starting point, you know, for those aspects. It was thousands of years before that, that Black people had tons of history on the continent of Africa and around the globe. So I think it's, you know, very interesting. Number one is to kind of start Black history with these notions of ancient African civilization. I think it's like really powerful. Michael was mentioning world history earlier and it would be very powerful and what does this do to history if we understand that black people conquered white folk right the moors for 800 years conquered the spanish right now how does that make it look because because when we say europeans were the only colonizers europeans were the only people you know from the imperialism right we're saying that europeans were the dominant culture and in many ways they're not right Examples of the Moors, right? Examples of Europeans coming down to Africa and learning in those, learning at their institutions. And something that really irritates me is this notion that Europeans were the only people that traveled the world, right? And I think it's very cocky to say that Europeans were the only people that looked at this body of water and said, "Hmm, I wonder what's out there." So let's build boats, right? No, Africans build boats, Asian people build boats, and they traveled the world, right? And I think it's very You know, important for us to understand that Africa is the center of black history and then the diaspora, right? And how these people came to be the similarities and the differences between these people around the globe. Right? So that's principle three, right? Now, the first three principles solidify, right? For all credible black history programs. I think anyone who has ever did black history would say those three principles are are key. Now these next three principles are a little bit different.
0: I was just going to share. I've been um, if you if you're looking to learn some of this history, I've found the Henry Louis Gates documentaries. I don't know if you'd recommend those that are available. I have I found a lot of them are available through my streaming services, and I've been watching some of them. And some of it, it's again, it's just disappointing to how how did I not learn? And Amona Rainis, the Cush Queen, mm-hmm. and and so. When I learned about her, I learned about this one-eyed queen who defeated the Roman Empire. I was like, what? How have I not heard this story before? And so, but I've also never taught world history too, I have to admit. Do you, are you going
1: to put um, a link to that in the show notes Dan?
0: Yeah. And Henry Louis Gates has a whole series. He has several different documentaries that do a really good job, but he has ones that focus on uh, great African civilizations. And I think a couple other ones that focus on both the United States and larger uh, African diasporas. So, so anyway, there's some great resources there and I, I've been trying to learn some of it and documentaries are a great, great way. There's a lot of, a lot of good ones online. But I
2: think what's really, like, really interesting, right, is that as teachers and educators in just the general society, we just haven't sat and just thought about, like, this just doesn't sound right. You know what I'm saying? Like, like why are you sure the Europeans were the only people that conquered the world? You sure the Europeans were the only people that explored the world? You sure? Like, like, like there, the, the, there's not even like a sense of curiosity, it's like we've been miseducated for so long that the apex of humanity is centered on, you know, those from Europe and everyone else are just kind of kind of dehumanized, like slowly and surely, you know, and not necessarily bringing in this particular history. That's that's important to learn.
0: Absolutely.
1: So the next three parts of your framework, do you mind talking a little bit about
2: that? Yeah. So principle four is centered on this this notion of Black joy and Black love. Now, when I I say history is about identity and history is about humanity, sometimes Black history is defined by oppression, right? By oppression and liberation, right? So uh, Black folk have always been oppressed, so therefore they reacted to the oppression by trying to liberate themselves. But what we miss in the human side of history is just the everyday acts of history, the everyday people and everyday just human things that Black people have done throughout history, right? So just this joy and this love that Black people had, you know, throughout just being people. So the ways in which, you know, the dance culture, the music culture, sports, and all these particular aspects of life because black folks sometimes were just people right um and not necessarily always fighting you know against this notion of oppression and i think that's very uh, important because that's what brings the humanity into the history for black history this notion of black joy and black love now principle five is this notion of black identities and intersectionality right And i think i spoke to this earlier on on which black history is defined through black Men who are Christian, middle class, able-bodied, and heterosexual. Um, so essentially, what we do in Black history is the same thing we do for the tr- tr- for the traditional historical trope, right? We center men as the center of the historical aspect, and we need to bring in the various different identities that have made up Black history. So Black women, Black LGBTQ, folk, the disabled, right? Um, all these particular identities that make up blackness even you know saying notions of black conservatism right you know you, you know it's key to really understanding the complexities of what black history is and last is principle 6 which is the most controversial principle which is black historical contentiousness right and what this is it's 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 twofold number 1 it's key to understand that black people are not monoliths right so that means that There was diverging ideas on how to live life, diverging ideas of how social issues should be solved, right? So that's number one. So there's always been disagreement about Blacks throughout history, right? Also, Black historical contentiousness focused on this notion that Black history is not always perfect or pristine. Sometimes we overcompensate from the exclusion of Black history, that we present a Black history that's perfect, right that black people could do no wrong and i think that's complicated and i think it's problematic because even when we note this notion of perfection what we do is dehumanize those people for being perfect individuals so if you're not perfect you're not historically you know important and black people have been susceptible to Black ethnic subjugation, right? Sexism, right? Some of our most favorite uh, civil rights activists were sexist, was homophobic, right? And those things need to be explored throughout our curriculum. Also, Black people recolonized Africa and enslaved natives, you know, as well, right? Present day Sierra Leone, present day Liberia. And those particular places have civil wars to this day based on these Black folk from the United States and Black people from Canada who came and recolonized those lands and enslaved those Native Africans, right? So I think, think those particular histories are extremely important for us to humanize Black people because history in general is not about this notion of patriotism, right? It's not about this notion of, you know, this feel-good, you know, story. It's about really understanding the identities and humanities of different groups of people.
1: So you're saying that history shouldn't just make us feel feel warm and cuddly inside
2: (laughs) if history is making you feel warm and cuddly you're not studying history you're studying something else nostalgia maybe Right, and you know, know, we change the classes to nostalgia for people who believe that history should should do that. Just 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 change the name, right? You know, nostalgia instead of history. We're taking ninth grade world world nostalgia. nostalgia.
0: (laughs) Oh, that would be. I mean, I know that that's what they. From everything I talk to about my students in the field, they teach Texas nostalgia, not Texas history in schools. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So so when I look at this framework, this is this is really uh, powerful, and I really appreciate when when scholars develop frameworks like this cuz it it allows the way I would think of using it and I'd love to hear the ways you've heard teachers using it is I think that I would I would look at my curriculum and I would see where in my curriculum are these things included right and I think sometimes you can do it by for example in reading books right like from and about you know and through black perspectives and they those books, if they're, you know, like what we've used a, a book about Ona judge, I've mentioned a million times on this podcast in our classes. And it does all this because her life encapsulated all those things, right? It encapsulated all of these different aspects in some way or another, or at least had the connections. What are the ways you've seen teachers take up this framework or what do you envision for it?
2: Yeah. So the beautiful thing about frameworks is that my my job is not necessarily tell teachers how to use the framework, right? These are just thinking principles. I'm a big art over science guy in terms of teaching. I think teaching is an art, right? And I've seen the framework used as themes, right? Teaching history thematically, right? Through these particular themes. And actually, uh, I'm writing a book using Black history through themes and using the frameworks as themes. And we're going to kind of write about the various different lessons based on those themes. I've seen Jefferson County Public Schools have adopted the uh, framework and their whole Black history curriculum is based on the framework. So they they have certain compelling questions that are based on uh, the framework. And they have a list of uh, compelling and supporting questions to connect with that. I've seen people just you know, use the traditional way of history chronologically, and they just kind of make sure that they utilize these particular principles. I'm really excited about the amount of uh, teachers that are using the frameworks, and sometimes I just wish they would like email me or just let me know how they're using them. But eventually, and stuff, I will begin to start going going into classrooms, right, and kind of examining how these particular teachers are using the framework.
0: I love this. Got a. Believer in me, Dr. King. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm bringing this into my classes, and I, I'm looking forward to using it.
2: Yeah. Similarly, um, I was speaking to a social studies coordinator who's building a Black History program, and when we were talking on the phone, she was going over the the the, the uh, large, compelling questions based on the framework. She's like, "You know what we're missing, Dr. King? We're missing joy. We're missing agency. And you know, just just really trying to create these compelling questions that fit." within those, you know, principles. So and but but, you know, you know, as any framework is always developing, as I'm thinking about two other, you know, frameworks uh, uh, um, to add to it. But again, you know, just with any educators, you know, you wanted to make it nice and easy to kind of, you know, conceptualize instead of something very complex. So we shouldn't try to push you and getting exclusive with those two additional uh, parts of the framework. Well, I'm thinking principle seven um, will kind of, kind of center around black excellence. And while, and this is mainly for kind of our elementary, you know, folk at, as well of our secondary folk looking at like notions of black inventors and, and these people that change society. But really what I want people to really think about is the told on Black people in this country, right, this country wasn't meant, you know, for Black people and, and the stuff and the ways in which Black people have achieved, right, because people fail to realize we've only been really a free country for two and a half generations, right, <laughs> you know, so so it's really funny when you think of that, right, I'm I'm 42 years old and I knew somebody connected to slavery. So all these particular histories right hasn't been that long ago. But to be able to achieve what we have been achieving throughout adversity is extremely difficult and and excellent, right? So, you know, even you know for black professors, you know since Trayvon Martin, who gained tenure, all that psychological violence that happened you know throughout the news and to be able to write and to be able to teach and be able to invent different things is so excellent and I'm still thinking about principle eight so i'm not comfortable in in saying that right that's okay. we got the yeah. we got one that's fantastic,
0: yeah. And, and now we have, well, first thing, that's, that's the closest to like breaking news we've had on this podcast, <laughs> I think. So this is this is our form of breaking news. And so everyone, we're very excited right now. Yeah, we might as well sign up and, be, uh, for, and PBS can hire us next, right? Start airing the podcast. But we also, you, you gave a great tease, which also means we're like a news broadcast, because we're going to have to bring you back to talk about the eighth principle once you're ready.
2: I'm going for the title, uh, <laughs> the most uh, featured guests yes <laughs> well
0: <laughs> be- best best friend of the pod well dr king as we as we kind of finish up i think we, we started with uh talking about black history month and this what this uh, episode will be out during black history month whether you're listening to it now or then do you have any advice for teachers and educators in general about this month and how to approach it
2: yes yeah, so one thing I'm really trying to, you know, express upon people is that the original creation of Black History, well, where Negro History Week was a place where school children would demonstrate and showcase what they learned about Black history throughout the year, right? So the the celebration was never meant to be the only time or the focus on Black history in the school year. It was supposed to be a time where st- students showcase their knowledge. So I challenge teachers and school districts to utilize February as a showcase month of all the things that they've learned throughout the year on Black history and not necessarily this notion of, um, hey, you know, on the morning announcements, this Black person did this, this Black person did that, which, you know, you know, I understand why, why people do that, so I'm not admonishing people. But the original intent of the celebration was to showcase knowledge and not necessarily present knowledge, right, for the first time. So, you know, also, unless your name is Ava DuVernay, please no reenactments, right, of any uh porous a- activities, you know, through Black history. And, you know, just think about Black people as you begin to start teaching Black history. I think that's extremely important. Oh, and also the Carter Center has Black History Month events and hopefully that will be in the show notes as well. They're free as well.
0: Yeah, we've got those in the show notes and those are coming up on February 13th, 20th, 27th and March 6th because yes. we we know now that we can do Black History all year round. We <laughs> just are going to have, we're just going to present our, the culmination of our annual work in in February.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. Dr. King,
1: thank you so much for joining us today. We really do appreciate you spending the time.
2: Well, thank you for having me. It was, uh, of course, uh, joyous.
0: So can you tell our listeners where they can
2: find you and your work online? You can follow me on Twitter at Dr. LeGarrett King. I'm on Instagram, 2018 Teaching Black History, I believe, on Instagram. And of course, you can always email me at kinglj at missouri.edu. And can
0: they find the Carter site? Uh, just Should they just ser- search that at the University of Missouri?
2: Yeah. So we have a Carter site. If you Google uh, Carter Centrification of Black History Education, you should see our Facebook group. Um, we have over 1600 people in our Facebook, Facebook group. Please join us because you'll have a lot of news there. And then you'll see the university website. And hopefully we will have a more expensive website coming up soon.
0: Another thing you can come back and talk to us about. Oh, yeah, definitely. So again, thank you so much for uh, joining us. We certainly do hope to continue the discussion online and in other spaces.
2: All right, sounds good. Thank you, gentlemen.
0: Thank you.
1: At the Visions of Education podcast, we're all about sharing and learning. If you're doing something fun or creative in education or you just want to chat, get it, tweet us at Visions of Ed. We're also sometimes on Facebook. And of course, if you haven't already, subscribed to Visions of Ed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and really anywhere you want us to be. We'll do coffee shops. Well, I mean, not yeah. really. but Soon.
0: Soon, soon yeah. we're hoping. We're hoping. We're going to give you an update when we're vaccinated. Uh, in the meantime, you can write us a five-star review. That's a great thing to do while you're waiting in the vaccine line. And we will read it on the air if you leave us a review. We'd like to thank Zach Seitz of Wiley High School and the University of North Texas for his editing skills. Zach Seitz. You, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42. Think Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast. Signing off.